Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, the word of God reads as followed. But I will with the voice of thanksgiving, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise this morning for your son, Jesus, the sweet lamb of God who lived the perfect life and died a sacrificial death on behalf of sinners. We pray, Lord, that you would apply your word to our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would draw those that are yours, that if be anyone here who does not know you, that this would be the day of salvation and that the needs of your people would be met by virtue of your word preached. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It was R.C. Sproul in his book, Save From What, that said the following. Woe unto those who have no Savior on the day of wrath. The Bible says that on that day, the unbeliever will scream to the mountains to fall upon him, to the hills to hide him. People will be looking for refuge from nature itself, crying, cover me, give me a shield. But there is none. But there is only one shield that can protect anyone from the wrath that is to come. It is the covering of the righteousness of Christ. And these are some sobering words for us to be reminded of as followers of Christ. God's wrath is awful. And by God's grace, because of Christ, we will never experience it because Christ experienced it on our behalf. This is where we sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior, because our God is good. And we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. If you recall, last week we looked at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And we looked at God's patience with Jonah throughout the book. God tells Jonah, go. Jonah says, no. And finally, God's patience had come to an end with Jonah. God did not condemn the man of God, but he did discipline him. And we're told in verse 17, it says, then, verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Did God's discipline and chastening in Jonah's life work? You better believe it did. Right? Absolutely it did. Why? Because God always gets his man. Always. You can run. You can hide. But not from God. And so this morning, as we look at our text, we are reminded yet again that salvation indeed belongs to to the Lord. It was at Jonah's lowest point in life that he learned the most important lesson. He learned the full scope of God's saving power. He learned that salvation belongs to the Lord. And so from beginning to end and everything in between, God is teaching his people that salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, if you've guessed the title of the sermon, you will write, 
It is salvation belongs to the Lord. As we think about this statement, salvation belonging to the Lord, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is salvation? This is a broad topic for us to to, to think through biblically, but we'll cover a gist of it, the gist of it. The word simply means, salvation simply means deliverance. Other words that describe salvation are welfare, prosperity, and victory. And our passage in Jonah tells us the salvation belongs to the Lord or is of the Lord. And this means that deliverance and welfare and prosperity and victory are the possession of the Lord. They belong to him. And so this possession of victory belongs to the Lord because he is sovereign. And this morning, to give you a brief outline, this is what we will be looking at. First, we will look at salvation from our sin. Then we will look at salvation from our sorrows. Thirdly, we will see salvation for eternity. Fourthly, we'll see the plan of salvation. And lastly, we'll conclude with some closing thoughts. First, we see the salvation from our sin. This is spiritual salvation. Before God calls someone to a vocation, he first calls them to a salvation. How can a person truly work as God's minister and ambassador unless he has been called by God? His calling by God goes forward through the preaching of the gospel. And those who receive Christ by faith recognize their need for a savior and turn from their sin by trusting in Christ alone, receive this deliverance, receive this salvation. And so when we preach the gospel or share the gospel, we are calling people to Christ and Christ alone. This is a message that is and will be victorious because it is commissioned by the king who is sovereign and is victorious. And so don't get discouraged when you share the gospel and people don't respond. God is working. Either their hearts are being softened or their hearts are being hardened. But there is an effect when the gospel goes forward. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And we are reminded of our great need for salvation throughout the scriptures. The Bible reminds us of man's condition prior to Christ, prior to being born again. Psalm 51 verse 5, I was brought forth, the psalmist said, in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 3, Paul says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Men and women are born sinners. Every single individual who comes into this world is born an enemy of God. And there is war between them and God. And because of this, there is a penalty for sin. The penalty is death. We are reminded in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. Right? The, the, the sinner is working, and he's not working for God unless his heart has been changed. And at the end of his life, if he does not turn from his sin, all the wages he will receive will be God's judgment. This is death. There's another part. He falls short of the glory of God. But there is a free gift that God gives to sinners. And that is found in the person of Jesus Christ and him alone. So not only are men born sinners, there is a penalty for their sin. 
but they must be born again. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus. He says to him, what can I do to enter the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven? And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can get baptized. You can go to church. You can do all the good deeds you want to do. You can give to charity. You can be an influential member in society. You can be a-okay in the eyes of everyone. But if you are not right in the eyes of God, then you are in trouble. You must be born again. We see this even in the book of Jonah. Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh. This is his vocation as God's prophet. He's to speak God's words. He is to preach the word that God had spoken to him. And he was called to preach what? There was a message that he was called to preach. That message was that of repentance. And he was called to preach repentance to sinners. In this case, the Ninevites who were not in right relationship with the one and only true God. And so as Jonah was to preach, there was to be a response. And if the response was yielding to Christ, then there was to be deliverance and freedom from their sin. And so when any person trusts in the Lord as their Savior, what they are receiving is salvation and deliverance. But what are they receiving salvation and deliverance from? Well, as to R.C. Sproul's title of the book, they are receiving salvation from the wrath of God. What are you saved from? You, in the opening of his book, he asked the question. Someone comes up to him and says, sir, are you saved? And his response was, saved from what? And the person said, uh, uh, you know what I mean. And R.C. Sproul, in his book, asked the question, do evangelicals even know what we have been saved from? Well, the answer is we've been saved from the wrath of God. We've been saved from the anger, the fierce, righteous, holy wrath of God. That's what we've been saved from. Again, Sproul in his book says this, quote, The ultimate salvation that any human being can ever experience is rescue from the wrath that is to come. Do you believe that there remains a wrath that is to come? I think the greatest point of unbelief in our culture and in our church today is unbelief in the wrath of God and in his, and in his certain promise of judgment for the human race. See, judgment is coming. Wrath is coming on those who don't know the Lord. And when we trust in Christ for our salvation, and deliverance, we are being saved from the wrath of God. So the first thing we see is, as we think about salvation belonging to the Lord, we are reminded that salvation from our sin belongs to the Lord. And again, if you've trusted in Christ, this should give you every morning something to praise Him for. Your back hurts, your leg hurts, you're sick, you're dying. Whatever the case is, God, my soul is right with you because of Christ. I will not be separated from you for eternity. Hallelujah. Amen. In spite of how you feel, in spite of your circumstances, Christ bore the wrath of God on your behalf. We have much to be thankful for. So we've been saved from the wrath of God. Salvation from our sin belongs to the Lord. But secondly, we see the salvation from our sorrows belongs to the Lord. This is talking about deliverance from our physical suffering. 
Now, once we come to faith and we are in right relationship with God, we often times experience deliverance from salvation out of our troubles in life. We receive deliverance out of our troubles in life. Now, we know this is not a guarantee. This is where the health, wealth, prosperity gospel gets it wrong. They, they guarantee perfect healing. They guarantee a, 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 a good life. And brothers and sisters, that is not guaranteed to us. Salvation is a gift and healing is a gift that God gives to whom he wills as he wills. We know that this is not guaranteed and we should never presume on God's deliverance from all our troubles in life. There are some things that we go through in life because of our sin, because of our negligence, because of our foolishness. And God allows us to go through times of trouble until we make it right and work through those things. And then there are other times, as Peter mentions, where we go through times of suffering because of other people's actions against us, because of other people's sin and malice and envy and so on and so forth. And at this point, it's important that we remember the words of Paul to Timothy. Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. If you are associated with Christ at one point in your life, if you stand on the truth of God's word, you will receive some kind of persecution. And God could save our souls and not save us from our troubles, and he would still be good and worthy to be joyfully served. Amen? Amen. Right? We we can go through hardships in life and, and ask the question, God, what are you doing? And still give him praise by saying, God, whatever you're doing, I trust you. And we see this exemplified in the person of Christ. He's in the garden, sweating drops of blood, bearing the wrath of his people on his body. He says, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine will be done. You see, God is good even when our circumstances are not. And yet we see that though God is not obligated to deliver his people, nonetheless, that is exactly what he does because he's good. I'll give you a couple examples. Psalm 37, 39. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in him. Psalm 68, verse 20, our God is a God of salvation and to God, the Lord belong deliverance from death. And then we're reminded of Jonah's prayer here in Jonah chapter two. Look at verse one of Jonah two. This is after being in the mouth of, a belly, in the, mouth of the great fish. He was there three days and three nights. He's going through suffering. He's going through trouble. Verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. See, we have to stop there and feel that word distress, this anguish, this point of death. And what does the next verse say? And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. Go down to verse four of Jonah chapter two. That I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. 
Verse five, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed up for me forever. Yet you brought my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Verse eight, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And Jonah concludes by saying what? I will give a voice of thanksgiving and will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, in times of trouble, And brothers and sisters, let's make it very applicable to our day. You lose your job for whatever reason. You have bills to pay. You don't know what you're going to do. The first thing you ought to do is cry out to the Lord. Oh, God of my salvation, you own it all. It's all yours. If you desire for things to change, they can. So I thrust myself on you. But in our sinfulness, the first thing we do is we worry and we, we get our mathematician on and we start thinking on how we can crunch and none of those things are wrong in and of themselves. But salvation does not come from our bank account. Salvation isn't dependent on our bosses. Salvation isn't dependent on the clients. Salvation isn't dependent on the government. Salvation is of the Lord. Your physical body is his. Your spiritual soul is his. It's all his. He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And so we see that God's salvation is not just the one-time thing that takes place when we trust in him. That God is always saving us. He saved us, he's saving us, and he will save us. From beginning to end, salvation is of the Lord. And God's discipline in Jonah's life caused him to rededicate himself to the Lord. And that's something God knows how to discipline, how to chasten his people. He knows how to put the pressure on to bring them to the place of repentance and bring them to the place of walking in obedience. And maybe he's doing that in your life or maybe he's done that in your life in the past and you remember that limp you have as you were walking with God. I pray that the limp would remind you to give yourself wholly to him in years to come. If you have trusted in Christ, you have access to God by faith through Christ. And anytime you find yourself in trouble, whether it be by way of your own sin or the sin of others against you, the Lord is quick to hear you and deliver you as he sees fit. Isn't that amazing? We're talking about the God of all creation who hears his people's cry. We know that God is not a genie who stands at our attention to meet all of our needs, but in his kindness, he is an ever-present help to his people because he knows our weaknesses. As the psalmist says, he knows that we are dust. And we're encouraged in Psalm 55 to cast our burdens on the Lord. And the promise is that he will sustain us and he will never permit the righteous to be moved. You used to stand on sinking sand when you were in the world, but now you are on a sure foundation. And as it says in the word of God, though the earth quake 
and the mountains fall, the righteous will never be moved because we are in Christ. And he is a firm foundation. And as believers, we have salvation and deliverance from our sin, but oftentimes from our sorrows. So not only is Jesus Christ King and Lord over salvation of our souls spiritually, but salvation from our sorrows belongs to the Lord as well. Thirdly, we see the salvation is for eternity. Salvation is for eternity. We covered this in our series um, a couple, couple months ago. We talked about glorification. The fact that when believers die, what happens to them? Where do they go? Does God lose them or forget them? And as believers, we can now fight our sin because we have the Spirit of God living within us and we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. And although we will never be sinless in this life, we are called to and we will, by God's grace, sin less. And we will grow in holiness. For the believer, the controlling force in our lives is grace and holiness, not sin and Satan. However, in our fight against the flesh, the world, and the devil, the reality is, is that one day we are going to die. And one of the things, whatever side of the spectrum you stand on, that God, I think, is exposing in his people is that we fear death. We fear death. And, and, and our ears are to the streets, but not in the book. Because if our ears were in the book and less in the streets, and when I mean the streets, you put a name on it, the news, your friends, those experts, whoever it is. But if our, if our mind and our hearts are enraptured by the word of God, then we are reminded frequently that in spite of what we see, he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And we won't be afraid. Now, will we be afraid? Yeah, we're flesh, right? But we confess that, God, I'm afraid. I don't want to be afraid. You're in control of all things. Give me a healthy fear of you so that I live by faith, whatever that looks like. Because one day we will die. And what happens to the soul of the believer on that day? There's a future glorification. One day every believer will die, but we will be saved from the presence of sin. Glorification reminds us that one day we will be freed from the presence of sin. There is coming a day where our long battle against sin and Satan in this life will come to an end. Just think about that. Right? That's worth meditating on. That one day the pain that you feel or your family members feel it will be done away with, brothers and sisters. It will be forever gone. In glorification, our bodies will be reunited with our souls and our salvation will be completed. And for the believer, salvation has happened. That's justification. It is, it is happening. That is sanctification as we're being made more into the image of Christ, and it will happen in the future, that is glorification. From beginning to end, salvation belongs to the Lord. After our death, sin will no longer be a reality in our lives. 
we will be completely perfect in holiness. And for the first time, we will be able to enjoy God with no restrictions. Salvation for eternity belongs to the Lord. But fourthly, we see the plan of salvation, inviting sinners to partake of true freedom. You see, Jonah here partook of salvation. Jonah here was being saved as he was being sanctified and God was using the hardships in his life caused by himself and he was teaching him God's graces and God's kindness toward him. But God was preparing him for something and that something was to, as God said originally, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And if you go to verse 1 of chapter 3, which we'll look at next week, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. We'll get to this next week, but God actually gives Jonah less words the second time. So Jonah, if you keep disobeying, you're going to hear from me less and less. The first time God gave him 20 words in the English translation. The second time God gives him 18 words. And the message didn't change. Jonah, go and go to Nineveh. And so we see that it is imperative that we who have been given a commission as well, except this one is called the Great Commission. It was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself that we are to go and make disciples of the nations. Right? Why? Because all authority in heaven and on earth is his. And we are to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And oh, if you're afraid, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. When you go and when I go and we speak the message that God has given us, we go in the authority of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that the word of God which pierces through men's souls changes hearts. So this isn't about us. This is the plan of salvation. Not only does God give us, not only does God save us, but when he does, he equips us so that we can tell others about the Savior. And what is the gospel? There is a track at the back of the church by uh, Greg Gilbert. It's called What is the Gospel? Uh, it's a part of a book. If you get a chance to read the track and that intrigues you to want to know more, there's a book that goes with that as well. And in that book and in that gospel track, he breaks it down into several categories. One, God. Second, man. Third, Jesus. And then response. First, God. God is holy. We have to start with the holiness of God when we're bringing this message, right? You see, Jonah, Jonah is called by God. He says, call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Why, why is God telling Jonah to go? Because he really cares about the Ninevites? Okay, no, greater than that. God cares about his glory because he's holy, because he's perfect. And there's a place where God is not being glorified, where his name is not being exalted. And in his righteous, holy jealousy, he calls Jonah to proclaim the message of salvation so that sinners would worship the king of kings. And so we start with God being holy. 
And we have to really press in on this. We have to paint the picture scripturally as dark as we can. And, and, and so much to the degree that sinners are, are shaking at their knees and their hands are trembling and tears are flowing down their face. And don't stop there. Keep pressing in the law of God. Why? Because if you don't know you have a problem, then why in the world would you want the answer to the problem? Sinners need to know that they are in desperate need of a savior, that they're going to stand before a holy, righteous God who is living and the wrath of God will be poured out on them. And and even the Niagara Falls will blush at the wrath of God that falls on sinners. See, they need to be reminded of that. And then they need to be reminded of their own condition before this holy and righteous God. God is holy. Man is not. The Bible says that you are depraved, that, that the very best you do, the very righteousness that you have to offer is nothing but filthy rags. You imagine bringing something in your proud attitude of filth before a righteous king. Get that out of my face. God is holy, man is not. But then there's the glorious Christ who steps on the scene. He comes from heaven to earth to live the perfect life that you could never live, died the sacrificial death that you and I deserve to die. And he offers himself as a sacrifice on behalf of sinners. And it is well-pleasing to the Father. Even in his life, his life was well-pleasing to the Father. If you read the Gospels, how many times did God the Father interrupt the service and say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That was before his sacrifice. So his perfect life now becomes your perfect life. Not because you lived it, but because he did. And then he dies on the cross, taking on all our sins in his body. And so he does this on behalf of sinners. So what is your response, O sinner? Look to Christ, respond and turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone. For he is the only one who can bring you salvation. Why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. It is of the Lord. He gives it as he wills, to who he wills, when he wills. And for those who continue to reject that salvation, they may not hear it again. And this is why the call in the word of God is today is the day of salvation. There is a wrath to come and sinners must be warned that they will be God's targets unless they flee from the wrath to come. A sinner may experience God's kindness and being delivered from their troubles for a season. But there is a day to come when they will not escape eternal sorrows of their souls. You've spoken to people who, who, you, who you know don't know the Lord and you plead for their souls and you say, please get right with God. And they think that because they've received goodness in their life or that they've been healed or that they're financially prosperous that they can hold out a little longer. Those are just God's goodnesses shown even to the wicked. But make no mistake about it. There will be a day of reckoning. Again, Sproul says this, in the Old Testament, the fundamental difference between a true prophet and a false prophet was that the true prophet proclaimed the day of the Lord as the day of consuming wrath. The people didn't want to hear that, so the false prophet received applaud 
by promising the people that the day of the Lord was a day of brightness and light and joy, that there was nothing to worry about. Quote, God loves you. Quote, God has a wonderful plan for your life. But the reality is that God does not have a wonderful plan for the impenitent. To such people, God's plan won't look good at all on the day of judgment. And do we believe this? In our heart of hearts, do we believe this? If so, and you have not trusted in the Lord, today is the day of salvation. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Lastly, Again, from Saved by What? Because I want you to read that book. Sproul says this, Who needs a Savior when there's no clear and present threat of judgment? And isn't that the case? Right? Again, people don't know they need a Savior because they haven't been warned of the wrath to come. And God saves sinners spiritually. He saves them physically. But there is a plan that God has outlined in the word of God to save sinners so that they are right with God. And people today, Sproul says, simply do not believe that there will be a day of judgment. But if we believe it, really believe it, the energy of our evangelism would increase a hundredfold. Ouch. Our greatest need in our day is not for anyone in this world to rescue us. You name the political figure, you name the community leader. Our greatest need is for God to have mercy on us. And that mercy is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When men's hearts are changed, their actions will change because they will go to the word of God and see what he has instructed them. And for those of us who have been changed by God, we need to be reminded. We need the water of God's grace and refreshment poured out over our heads again to rededicate ourselves before the Lord. And as Isaiah, who saw the beauty and the glory of God, says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he says, Lord, send me, I'll go. And so the God of all creation is gracious and merciful and compassionate towards sinners those who come to the end of themselves, he is willing and able to save the worst of sinners for his name's sake if you would turn to him by faith. So the question is, have you received Christ this morning? Have you trusted in Christ and Christ alone? And salvation is a free gift offered to sinners who come to the end of themselves, who stop believing the deception that they are a good person, Salvation is a gift given to those who see all they need can only be found in the person of Christ. And salvation is a free gift that must be received by faith. The sinner turns from his sin and by faith he calls upon the name of the Lord and in doing so he is rescued from the wrath of God to come. So if you are here this morning and if you have not given yourself, if you have not thrust yourself to the Lord, And I pray that this would be the day of salvation for you. And if you're here this morning and you have trusted in the Lord, be reminded that you were loved, you are loved, and you will forever be loved by God in Christ. God expressed his love most clearly to you on the cross through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And because he lives, 
we will see tomorrow. And we have joy and we have peace and we have confidence. And so in closing, he saved us from our sin if we are in him. He saved us from our sorrows as he sees fit according to his will. He saves us for eternity. So even in our death, we are not lost, but receive glorified bodies at his return. And he saves us to tell others about a savior. And this morning, I pray that you be reminded that salvation is from the Lord from beginning to end and everything in between. Salvation is of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning giving you praise and thanks for your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would apply this to those that are present. Help us to follow you and live for you. And we thank you, God, for the salvation that you have given us. And we thank you, God, that we can serve you and we can serve you and not be condemned. That we have been set free, free indeed in Christ. I pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here who does not know you, that they would experience that freedom and that peace and that joy that only God can give by virtue of Christ and Christ alone. We ask all this in his name, Christ, the mighty King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Thank you, Edwin. Please stand with us.